how many how many completions did he have? One. One, One completion. Has anybody ever been set up to fail harder than Kendall Hilton was this week? No. <laughs> I mean, God, that game was terrible, and I just feel bad for Kendall Hinton. Is that how you say his name? Kendall Hinton? Hilton? Hilton, Hinton, however you say his name. I just... I just feel bad for him because he just got thrown to the Wolves against a pretty solid defense in the Saints and one completion through two interceptions and God, 13 passing yards. What a uh, career starter for Kendall Hinton this week. God, that was terrible. First and last start. <laughs> but man, I <laughs> my favorite part of this whole saga was that the Broncos reportedly wanted their offensive quality control coach, Rob Calabrese, to start at quarterback. And the request was denied by the NFL because they didn't want to set the precedent for letting NFL teams stashing potential players on their coaching staff. So, I mean, I can't imagine that that's like a legitimate problem. But do you think that there are any NFL coaches right now in the nfl who could go out there and take a couple snaps for for a for a crisis situation in the nfl right now (laughs) i don't think there's any head coaches that can go out there and you know throw the ball a couple times if need be off the top of my head i think there are a couple offensive coordinators or assistant coaches that can especially like former nfl players that are on coaching staffs like Byron Leftwich in Tampa Bay obviously was an NFL quarterback so that's one that comes to mind but I don't think off the top of my head any coach can come in there and and play quarterback except for maybe one of the younger coaches like Matt LaFleur or Sean McVay or Cliff Kingsbury I would probably bet the most money on one of those three guys to be the most successful but i mean i think i, I would want to see andy reed out there taking some snaps <laughs> you're not telling me that you couldn't get big red out there in the red zone i mean just roll him out he's got the size to to truck somebody if he has to and i mean he could throw a better pass than travis kelsey did today i mean he had mahomes wide open through the most limp dick pass i've ever seen in my life you're, you're not you're not telling me andy reed couldn't <laughs> do better than that <laughs> i would just have andy reed run a fullback dive in whoever can stop him good luck because that's because that's 400 pounds of just pure human running down the hill at you so good luck What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 111 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap week 12 in the NFL, one of the all-time craziest NFL slates from a DFS perspective. We will review the most popular cash game plays and the decision points you had to make around them, our results. We'll talk about what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week. And of course, we'll close out the show with some of the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out all links to all of our content, including podcast episodes, YouTube videos, articles, etc. So make sure you're following us over there. And then you also 
will have to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast if you are not already. It helps us out a lot. It helps us reach new listeners in the podcast feeds. So just make sure you are subscribed or followed on whatever podcast platform you use. And then lastly, you can help support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose, where Ben and myself release videos on the Millie Maker for DraftKings, and Ben releases a cash pool video on DraftKings every single Friday. My video comes out on Wednesday, so make sure you guys go over to the YouTube, help us hit 130 subscribers. We lost a couple, but then we gained them back, and then we also release clips of this very podcast on that channel as well, I should mention. So make sure, like I said, you go over there and subscribe. Helps us out a lot. And then the link to join our free Discord chat will be in the description of this podcast. If you just go down and look in the description, you can click a link. It's free to join. And we talk about DFS every day and answer any questions that anybody might have in there. So make sure you guys go and check that out if you're interested. Absolutely. Now let's get into the show and we will start off as we always do by reviewing cash games, the highest owned plays and the decision points around them for week 12. And looking at the high owned cash plays on the slate. These ownerships come from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings. At the running back position, Dalvin Cook was the highest owned player, 69%. We had some cheap chalk running backs, Naheem Hines and Brian Hill, both between 55.3 and 55.4%. Wayne Gallman coming in behind them at 22%. At the wide receiver position, Justin Jefferson was the highest owned, 41%. Calvin Ridley after that at 33.7%. Keelan Cole ended up surprisingly being the highest owned punt wide receiver at 23%. Gabriel Davis was 18 Andy Isabella was about 10. And then, uh, you know, the 7K wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, Steph Diggs, Keenan Allen, all coming in between 17 and 18%. Two highest owned quarterbacks were Ryan Fitzpatrick at 26.5, Patty Mahomes at 20%. And tight end was really split between three guys, Travis Kelsey at 28.4, Darren Waller 27, and Kyle Rudolph at 2,800, coming in at 20% owned. The cash line in this double up was 131.5 cash lines across all double ups right in that range. Joey, how did you do on the week? Yeah, so I had a very, very good week, probably my best week ever in cash. Uh, my lineup ended up dropping 181 and some change, Um, lost no cash games. So when you come out of a week where you don't lose in cash in anything, God, it's just a smash week. And I think that the listeners might know somebody that I played that, that helped me get to that <laughs> point. Cause, you know, if you, if you played them, you're most likely smashed. And I definitely played a lot of Tyreek Hill. So it was a very, very good week on this end of things. And I put out on Twitter, I've had my best two week stretch of all time playing DFS these last two weeks. So it's always good to peel off multiple wins, especially since DFS is not an easy game most of the time. It's not, man. And I mean, you were, you know, sweeping up the competition like a dirty floor, man. I, I was sitting on the floor like, <laughs> like the dust. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely got dusted. Uh, put up 121.98, you know, a solid 60 points less than Joey put up in cash. 
uh, 23.7% total win rate across my head-to-heads and double-ups. And I mean, this was a tough week. I felt really good about the process and there were just a couple of key errors. Let's get into the decision points and the choices that we made and a lot of other people probably struggled with. And in terms of decision points, I think that one that stands out to me looking at our two lineups is that we both decided to roll four wide receivers this week and we had the nuts to fade Brian Hill at the min price as a chalk running back. So let's talk about those two things in conjunction. Yeah, so I'm just going to touch on the Brian Hill subject first. So process-wise, I'm going to just say I don't think Hill was that bad of a play, honestly. Right? He, no, he, he was projected to lead the backfield in touches in Atlanta. His team ended up scoring 43 points. There were multiple touchdowns that could have gone his way in the red zone and in the five-yard line that didn't. So I don't think he was a good play, but like you said, we did fade a 55% 4k running back which you know just shout out to us we're so sharp but the reason I faded him was because I thought Hines was clear cut better for 600 more and he was more owned right or about the same same in terms of ownership right I thought that Hurst at 3,800, so we're just getting into my lineup construction real quick. I thought Hurst at 3,800 was a little bit better than Rudolph at 2,800. I thought Hurst had more upside than Rudolph, and I also didn't want to play three Vikings in the same lineup, in theory, a capture upside, right? So I wanted to get off Rudolph, especially if I was playing Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, which were two of the more obvious plays this week. And so I wanted to jam in three top tier wide receivers. So to get that lineup construction, I had to play Gabriel Davis at 3K. And then I paid up to Hurst, paid up to Calvin Ridley, paid up to Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill. So that was the construction that I went with. And I felt like that was a better construction as a whole, instead of playing Brian Hill and then, you know, going down to Kyle Rudolph. For me, that's where I ended up. That's why I didn't play Brian Hill, but I won't say that he was a bad play because he wasn't. No, he wasn't a bad play, but this is kind of what we expected. We talked about him averaging 14 touches per game in the two starts that he had in 2019, and that's kind of exactly what we saw here with 13 touches and one target, which he did not catch. And Naheem Hines, just with the way that he was utilized in the red zone, obviously he got sniped a couple of times, and we'll talk about that later, but the receiving work of Naheem Hines for $600 more was just way too strong mm-hmm. to ignore. I mean, this man had 10 targets. Mm-hmm. And you you compare that to Brian Hill with one target. And I think that, I mean, 10 targets, obviously the Colts fell into a, a great game script for Hines where they were behind the entire game, forced to pass. But even still, I think that you could realistically project Naheem Hines with the receiving role he already had combined with the receiving role that he should soak up in the absence of Jonathan Taylor to be somewhere in the six to eight target range. He hit a little bit higher than that, but still for 600 more Naheem Hines, I think was just clear cut the better play. Dalvin Cook was a stone lock and the rest of the running back pool was just weak. I mean, these wide receivers, you obviously ended up on the right guy in Tyreek Hill Steph Diggs and Keenan Allen didn't quite hit, but I think that from a pre-lock process standpoint, trying to jam multiple guys from that tier was actually the right call this week because, you know, these wide receivers were just such, uh, they were just such higher quality plays compared to the running backs. Yeah, the running back pool was definitely weak, although I thought Austin Eckler was a pretty good play at 6,100, and we'll talk about it later in the podcast. But talking about those high-priced wide receivers, um, if we want to just transition into talking about Stephon Diggs and 
and Keenan Allen, two wide receivers who were decently owned, ended up busting. The game ended up busting from a fantasy perspective. And just the reason why I faded Diggs and Keenan Allen is because I thought Justin Jefferson was one of the best value plays on the board, even at 6,300 with no Adam Thielen. I thought Calvin Ridley was just as good of a play as Diggs and Keenan projection wise with no Julio out. So I wanted to fit Calvin Ridley in at 7,100 rather than pay an extra 500 or 900 for Diggs and Allen. And then the reason why I played Tyreek Hill over Diggs and Allen is because for me, It was either Mahomes or Ryan Fitzpatrick in cash. Those were the two cash game quarterbacks that I was considering. I ended up going to Ryan Fitzpatrick and I wanted exposure to Mahomes. So I got that exposure through Tyreek Hill. So that's why I ended up playing Tyreek Hill. And then obviously we know he has this tremendous ceiling and his floor has been actually pretty solid over the last couple of weeks. So that's why I ended up going to Tyreek Hill and fading Diggs and Allen. And I mean, just ran into the nuts with that. So process wise, I thought Jefferson was a better player than those two top guys I thought Kelvin Ridley was a better play and then it was basically just a pick them out of Allen Hill and Diggs for me we're on the same page I mean to me I was more comfortable getting away from Allen and Diggs later in the week as Calvin Ridley opened up like you said you know he was projecting just as well if not better than those guys and you know while salary wasn't necessarily tight this week with as much value as there was there were enough high-priced guys that felt like priorities to jam in in that that $800 discount off of Keenan Allen ended up being somewhat significant. And Justin Jefferson, to me, clear-cut best value, uh, you know, point-per-dollar wide receiver with a high ceiling in that mid-range. He felt like a stone lock to me as well. Mm-hmm. So I think Diggs and Allen were phenomenal plays. I wouldn't knock you if you were one of the, you know, 17 to 18% of people who played either one of them. But it, to me, it just felt like Jefferson and Ridley were the move. You know, the, the thing is, it feels kind of bad because I never would have been on Tyree kill and we'll, we'll get into tight kill in a little while but i was always going to pick one of those guys if i could but i was so focused on getting up to you know josh allen that i just kind of never really had the path to get there even if i had gone down from hayden hurst who i also played to kyle rudolph it really just would have put me in a position where i was maybe upgrading from justin jefferson to one of those guys and i never really wanted to do that because jefferson was such a priority so i mean you felt good paying down to ryan fitzpatrick and that worked out yeah so once fitzpatrick opened up i was very comfortable saving the salary and playing him at 5500 he was 2500 dollars. it was a 2500 hundred dollar saving going from Mahomes to Fitzpatrick so I I was comfortable uh, taking that savings all day and we know that Fitz is a very capable fantasy quarterback when he starts and it was also a great spot for him against the Jets now I know he only scored 19 points wasn't really a good game but since Allen busted it ended up working out in my opinion for me like I said a couple minutes ago, it was either Mahomes or Fitz for me. I don't think as the week progressed, I was playing Josh Allen. I really wanted to get exposure to Mahomes. I thought the matchup uh, was just as good for Mahomes as it was for Allen. And I think Mahomes is just all around a better quarterback. I think that's non-disputable. And in any given game, I think Mahomes is a 303 touchdown guy. So I wanted to just uh, prioritize getting Mahomes in the lineup. But once Fitz opened up, I I just said F it and played Fitz. Uh, And like I said, I got exposure to Mahomes through Tyreek Hill. So that that was my thought process on quarterbacks for week 12. 
do you want to take a minute to like just like shame me a little bit for playing Antonio Brown in cash? <laughs> I mean, it felt pretty solid to me beforehand. I mean, I touted it to the moon on our preview podcast and I loved him as a GPP play. And, you know, he wasn't a priority for me in cash as the week developed, but as I came off of Hunter Henry, Tonda Hayden Hurst, I had a little bit of salary and I was, you know, pretty convinced that I wanted to get off of the Brian Hill chalk. And to me, it just felt like, I mean, Antonio Brown coming off of a, you know, team leading target game last week, 13 targets, had eight targets in the game before that. And, you know, with the Bucks at home projection, to be playing catch up to the Chiefs. I felt like Antonio Brown was a phenomenal play at 5,700. I didn't really see this bust within his range. And I don't know, I guess I was just a little bit too high, maybe a lot bit too high on Antonio Brown this week. Yeah. And I think it's very comparable to the Steelers situation, which we touched on, you know, a podcast or two ago, where it's pretty much in any given game, it could be, you know, one guy and one of these guys gets left out. And that was the case this week with Antonio Brown. He was the odd man out in this game. I mean, Evans had targets. I think Chris Godwin might have been the best play out of the three, but Chris Godwin had you know, the most targets or the second most targets on the team. And then Gronkowski got work as well. So I think that is in the range of outcomes with a team that has, you know, four to five wide receivers slash tight ends that are going to play, are going to factor into the passing game, uh, which is why I really didn't consider Antonio Brown in cash. I obviously played him in tournaments a good amount. He was the bring back for my uh, Mahomes Tyreek Kelsey stack, and that didn't work out either but yeah i just didn't see it in cash but i thought he was a great tournament play good week for team pay down at tight end with with kyle rudolph smashing at 2.8 it's just goes to show that you never pay up at tight end yeah i i truly don't know why people paid six thousand and seven thousand for a tight end on this slate i just don't understand can you can you can you help me understand why people did that I just don't. I don't know. I mean, there's so much talk these days about the DFS community getting sharper. And, you know, sometimes you look at ownership and that seems to be reflected. But then you see things like, you know, Travis Kelsey being played at 28.4% and Darren Waller being played at 27%. I mean, over half of the field in DraftKings cash games decided to pay 6K plus for a tight end. I mean, to me, that just says the edge is not dead. (laughs) The edge is definitely not dead. And just from a process standpoint, I I just feel like paying down is always the move. You can find a tight end literally 3,500 or under every single week that might be kind of thin, but they're going to, they're going to be on the field. They're going to run routes and they could score points. I mean, Trey Burton at 3,200 had a great game. If you wanted to go there, Kyle Rudolph obviously was kind of chalk at 2,800. I thought he was a pretty solid play. So I'm just always going to look to pay down at tight end. Um, you're not, you're not sacrificing a lot by paying down and you know, you just, God. If you just pay up at tight end, you're just a stone cold fish. Don't know what to say anymore. People who paid up are probably not even listening to this podcast because, you know, the headphones would break underwater. So <laughs> it's just, it's a tough scene. Uh, hopefully you guys aren't, aren't on that wave. I mean, even with Travis Kelsey being a better point per dollar play slightly than Hayden Hurst, who I ended up playing, Um, you know, he's... Kelsey 2.3x to salary, Hurst 2.25x to salary. I will take 8.8 points out of my sub 4k tight end over, you know, 16 points out of my, you know, 7k tight end. 
10 out of 10 times. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a stone cold fact. Because if you're paying 7K for any player, realistically, you want them to score like 20 plus minimum. And you right. want them to sit probably around 25 points. And I think that it's asking a lot for most tight ends to do that. Now, Travis Kelsey is an exception to that. But there's still games within his range of outcomes where he takes a backseat to Tyree Kill. He takes a backseat to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and he doesn't get there. And it's hard for him to pay off a 7K price tag. And then you just factor that into you know these cheap tight ends that go for 15 points. And it's just a flaw in some people's process to even consider paying up to tight end on DraftKings this season. It literally has been probably the worst strategy in DraftKings in 2020. No cap. That's a cold, hard fact. Um, Last thing here in terms of decision points. I mean, do you think that we should feel stupid for jamming Dalvin Cook? I mean, I think it's a pretty easy no, but it's still, it's a tough pill to swallow when he puts up 11 points (laughs) at 9.5K. Yeah, no. I mean, not in cash at least, right? You want that projected volume in your lineup and with no feeling, I think we could project for him to see a couple more catches as well, just like we could project for Justin Jefferson to to see some more targets. I think that was true with Cook too. And then he just truly ran bad and, and you know, that's how it goes. Sometimes he still had 22 touches, uh, didn't score a touchdown, came out of the game for a little bit. And, you know, I just chalked that up to that being DFS. That's just the variance that comes with playing DFS. But in tournaments, I think you will make more money in the long run by fading a chalky player who takes up almost 10% of your salary cap. So definitely made money this week by fading him in tournaments, which is nice. But Dalvin for 2020 at least will always be a good play in my opinion so that's just my thought on it yeah i I feel good saying that that was just a rough outcome and that uh you know if this game plays 10 you know 10 times that he does a lot better and you know probably seven or eight of those so Mm -hmm. I, i feel good about the dalvin cook play even though it did not work out let's transition into the million dollar lineup on DraftKings. what it took to win a milli on dk we're gonna look at the larger field milli, the $10 milli. Um, there were two this week, one of which was a $101 milli maker with a 30, what, 30,000 field, right? Yeah, 38? about 35,000. Yeah, Joey got blessed on Twitter with a free entry to that, you know, made a, <laughs> made a couple hundred off of a retweet. Fini- yeah, finished in the top 1,500 in that contest. So had a, had a pretty good lineup in the milli maker, but not good enough to take it down because I'm, I'm just not as sharp as uh pick the right scrub pick the right scrub who great name by the way just played a <laughs> phenomenal team in the millie this week uh baker mayfield to a jarvis landry stack with james robinson on the bring back correlated his two running backs in derrick henry and naheem hines leveraged off of dalvin cook chalk with two pieces of the vikings passing attack and justin jefferson and kyle rudolph and then hit the absolute nuts with a tyreek hill one-off Decided to eat the chalk at defense with the New Orleans uh, defense. Put up 253.32 points. This was a highly correlated lineup. 131% cumulative ownership. So that's looking good. This might be the sharpest Millie lineup that we've reviewed on the podcast since we started doing it a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. I I think it is the sharpest. Like you said, it was a highly correlated lineup, which you want to do in these large field contests. He ran into a a very good game stack with Baker to Jarvis Landry, although Baker only scored 18. If the rest of the quarterback field has, you know, a relatively bad day, which it did today, besides Mahomes and Kirk Cousins, you you can win tournaments with an 18 at your quarterback spot, especially when Jarvis Landry scores 30. 31 and James Robinson scores 30 plus and then you hit the nuts with Tyreek Hill and Derrick Henry uh combining for over 100 points but other than that I, I mean I think it is a very very good lineup and you know I, I just wonder if this is a guy that actually studies DFS and listens to podcasts and takes his time to build thoughtful lineups or he just he just opened the app Saturday night, Sunday morning, and just made a very, very good lineup. <laughs> if it feels like a thoughtful lineup to me, and like the most thoughtful thing about it to me is the Henry Hines stack, because like normally you would say playing two running backs from the same game is a negative correlation, but it makes complete sense with these two guys, right? Henry gets up big, and that's the game script that favors him having a ceiling game, and Hines being down favors him because he's going to be utilized in the passing game. And that's exactly what happened. The Titans were up. Henry smashed the slate and, and Hines, you know, came back and got 10 targets and, and caught eight of those balls. So to me, it's like a negative correlation that a lot of people would probably stay away from. And people who are building 150 through optimizers might even have rules that forbid a lineup um, construction like that. And, and he just did his own thing and it worked out it, super sharp to me. Yeah, that I think that was definitely one of the better running back stacks this week. Uh just because like you said, the the game flows ended up working out for both running backs and then Hines could have had a bigger day, <laughs> which we'll talk about in the in the interesting uh stats, yeah, because god. <laughs> uh some some tilting moments this week in in NFL week 12, but yeah. Shout out to pick the right scrub. That's a pretty funny username. I, I thought you, I thought you gave that name to this lineup because you were <laughs> talking about these players being scrubs. I didn't, I, I didn't think that was his username, but shout out, shout out to him. Very good lineup. Now you're a million dollars richer and you know, maybe, maybe you'll buy a mansion with that money. Turns out he did in fact pick the right scrub (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get into the interesting stats from the week and we have a few of them only one place we can start Tyreek Hill had an absolute career day eviscerating the Bucks secondary for 13 receptions 269 yards and three touchdowns career bests across the board for Cheetah this man had over 200 yards in the first quarter. The first quarter, over 200 yards. This was the highest scoring fantasy performance by a wide receiver in over 20 years, and the sixth highest fantasy performance by a wide receiver of all time. Yeah, I mean, Tyreek Hill absolutely killed the Buccaneers uh, today. Just a phenomenal game for Tyreek Hill. Ended up scoring 60 points on DraftKings, and it's always nice when you have a 60-point player in your cash game lineup. Like... (laughs) God, that that's just the best feeling in the world. So shout out to Tyreek Hill. Shout out to Patrick Mahomes. Um, one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the NFL, obviously. And they're just, they're just great fantasy players. There's really not much that needs to be said about Tyreek Hill. Just, just a phenomenal performance from him. And, you know, shout out to him. He helped me, he helped me rake in the dough today. So 
He'll always have a place yeah. in my heart. I feel like Tyree Kill could have set the all-time wide receiver, you know, yardage numbers in this game if they truly wanted to. It kind of oh, feels yeah. like they maybe, you know, took their foot off the gas a little bit. But what the the record I think is like three twenty nine from Calvin Johnson a few years ago. I mean, he could have easily blown by that. I mean, the dude had two oh three with three quarters to play. Yeah, the Chiefs definitely let their foot off of the pedal they scored one touchdown in the second half the over in this game didn't even hit like that that's just crazy to think about like the total was set at what 55 56 at some books and it ended up going under and i just wish that coaches would stop being and just run up the score on these opposing defenses like screw sportsmanship like this is a this is a game if you can't stop the team like that's your problem like why am i going to not let my players boost their stats get some more recognition just because sportsmanship like no i wouldn't care and maybe that's why i'm not an nfl coach because i'd go for on every fourth down i'd run up the score any chance i get and if i have a chance to break records i'm having my team break those records i really don't care but That's not the way that these coaches think, and it's very unfortunate, especially for DFS and fantasy, because he realistically could have dropped 100 fantasy points. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to see Patrick Mahomes throw 10 touchdowns and have Tyreek Hill have 500 yards. (laughs) Just go for it. Why not? Why not? Just just do it. Um, Probably could, realistically. Hold up, hold up. I think my... My computer might have a virus because I just opened up my calendar and it says that it's November 29th, but from Derrick Henry's performance, I'm convinced that it's December. <laughs> December? It feels like it. This dude, Derrick Henry, aka the big dog, went for 178 yards and three touchdowns on 27 carries. It, it has to be December, right? I mean, December definitely came early for Derrick Henry. <laughs> it's December with an H. Mmm. Like... Derrick Henry. Yeah. Because (laughs) this man is a stone cold lock for the next five weeks. I am playing him in my DraftKings lineups, no matter his price, because it's game time. Okay. (laughs) He gets, he gets five of the worst, pretty sure top eight run defenses with three of those games being at home. This dude is running for 1,000 yards in the next five games against Cleveland, Jacksonville, Detroit, Green Bay, and Houston. God, Derrick Henry is just going to be the best fantasy play on the board for the fantasy playoffs for the rest of the season. And, you know, he started early today by absolutely decimating a Colts run defense that was missing some key players in DeForest Buckner and some other guys. But it's the start of what I expect to be one of the better stretches for running backs in recent memory. Would you take the over or the under on him scoring 20 touchdowns and rushing for 2,000 yards? I'm taking over. Yeah, me too. (laughs) He's running for 2,000 yards this season. There's absolutely no shot that he doesn't unless he gets hurt. It's written in the stars. This is going to be a December to remember for Derrick Henry. And while we're on the subject of AFC South running backs, how about James Robinson? After today's 159 yard performance, he's only 108 total yards away from breaking Philip Lindsay's 2018 record for most scrimmage yards of an undrafted free agent running back in the Super Bowl era. I think he breaks that record next week against Minnesota and then has four more games to pad his stats. Yeah, I mean, James Robinson has been a revelation for the Jaguars this season. And another fun fact is he has every single running back carry 
for Jacksonville besides seven on the season. So he's just a that's crazy. He's just an absolute workhorse running back, and he's actually really good. Like he's a good running back, and he can catch the ball too. So shout out to the Jags for moving on from Leonard Fournette and finding this undrafted rookie free agent that they could use as their running back for the next three or four years at a very cheap price tag, or that's what I think they should do. But yeah, he's definitely going to break the record. He's probably a Pro Bowl running back for the AFC this year. So shout out to James Robinson. I mean, he's having one hell of a year. And it's always nice to see one of these guys that usually slips through the cracks that you know we've talked about over the last couple of podcasts get a shot and produce at a high level because I think there's plenty of these guys out there. The NFL just has to find them. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, finding this diamond in the rough was not enough to save the Jags GM who got fired today, (laughs) but still a bright side for the Jags future. All they need to do is find a quarterback, maybe boost that defense and they will be contenders. While we're talking about running back success stories, let's get into Austin Eckler, man. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast for months on end. One of the biggest edges in DFS this year continues to be fading the public's fear of running backs returning from injury. Austin Eckler, 14 for 44 rushing today with 11 receptions for 85 yards on 16 targets. Eckler was only 12% owned in the $3 play action on DraftKings after Kalen Balaj was ruled out. I mean, God. Fade the fear, sail to the money. It's it's really that easy with these running backs coming off of injury. Yeah, and it's been one of the most profitable strategies so far in 2020 with numerous running backs coming off of injuries to workhorse roles, and we just capitalize on that. People are scared to play these running backs coming off of leg injuries or, or foot injuries or whatever the case may be, soft tissue injuries, etc. But if a team plays it safe, and they keep their you know star running back out for two months. He tweets he's good to go. He's on stream. He you know he's streaming Call of Duty or whatever he's playing. He says I'm good to go. I'm ready. Let's get back out there. Then he's good to go. Well, I don't understand why people don't think that he he's good to go. Like this is a freak of nature. You know, obviously you got it. You got to be kind of a freak to get into the NFL. An athletic specimen. Uh, with some of the best trainers in the world, millions of dollars in his bank account. I think he can afford, you know, the best physical therapy that there is. And he was only 6,100 on DraftKings this week. And we in a great spot, game environment, everything. Yep. Everything was in his favor in this matchup. And we also know that Justin Herbert has a tendency to check down to running backs and in one of two games with Herbert early in the season, Eckler had an 11-catch, 11-target game, had an 11-catch game against Buffalo in this spot with 16 targets, with Herbert being kept in check down in this spot. So I played him in basically every tournament lineup. I thought 6,100 was too cheap for a player of his caliber in a great game environment. There's just money to be made, or there was money to be made this season if you faded the injury scare that that comes along with 
you know, this perceived notion that these players aren't super freaks and, and superhuman athletes that can't produce coming off injuries. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, anytime that Ian Rappaport tweets on Sunday morning that, you know, said running back is going to be limited, you just smash them in DraftKings. <laughs> he did it with Christian McCaffrey, who went off for like 30 in his first game back, did it today for Austin Eckler. Let's just be on the lookout for Rappaport tweets on Sunday morning <laughs> and then jam those running backs. Seems like the wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Are we panicking on Keenan Allen? He only had four catches today with Eckler seemingly just inserting himself into the role of the go-to guy for Justin Herbert. Allen did see 10 targets, but still a, you know, underwhelming performance for a guy who's been on an absolute tear over the past month. I'm personally not panicking. I mean, like you just said, he still saw 10 targets. And if he averages 10 plus targets a game, which he has for the entire season, he's still going to be one of the best fantasy players on the board. Just had a bad game against the Bills, and I, I could shout myself out here right now. I, I kind of called it. Out? Yeah, I said yesterday in our Discord chat that this was a letdown spot for the Chargers traveling across country on the road going into Buffalo for an early game. There was some wind concerns and it ended up coming true. The Chargers offense was was kind of inefficient as a whole for the entire game. Eckler ended up getting there like we just talked about, but it kind of came at the sacrifice of Keenan Allen. He also did drop a couple of passes. He didn't have a bad game because he, he scored a touchdown, but I, I'm not worried at all about Keenan Allen. He's still, you know, one of the best, if not the best fantasy wide receiver on a weekly basis. Yeah, um, I, I, I tend to agree. I still think that Keenan Allen is, you know, Arrow is is very much up for Keenan Allen at this point with Justin Herbert giving him the best quarterback play that he's ever seen. I mean, he has six touchdowns and that matches the most that he's had since his rookie season in 2013 over the past, what, however many years that is, seven years or so. So, um, you know, Keenan Allen, I think he's still going to finish the season strong and has a strong future ahead of him as long as Justin Herbert is throwing him the ball. All right, we got to talk about the most tilting moment from today, or should I say moments, because it happened twice. <laughs> you know, Jonathan Taylor ruled out on Saturday, so naturally everybody jams Naheem Hines. He was massive chalk. And then the people with the galaxy brain out there, the sharps, think, all right, well, you know, everyone's going to play Naheem Hines, Brian Hillis chalk, let's get some some Jordan Wilkins exposure in tournaments, right? That seems like ultimate leverage. I mean, that makes sense to me, right? So, you know, we're finally in a position where there's only two running backs that we have to deal with in Indianapolis. No, I mean, Frank Reich just going through mental torture at the thought of only having two running backs for his committee. So what does he do? Throws Jacoby Brissett, his backup quarterback in there for the red zone attempts. This dude, Jacoby Brissett, vultures two rushing touchdowns from the goal line from both of these running backs that everybody played. I mean, if you were playing tournaments and you didn't have exposure to at least one of these two guys, probably both, I mean, you're doing DFS wrong. And then just <laughs> God, Frank Reich, the ultimate donkey. This was so tilting. It happened once and I was tilted. Then it happened twice. And I just, I, I just lost. It. I, I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much to say about it. It was just a tilting moment in the day. I mean, why are you having your backup quarterback in the game taking away touchdowns from our fantasy running backs? Makes no sense. Just, and and the crazy thing is, is on one of those, Hines had like two or three carries inside the ten yard line and got down to the one yard line just for Brissett to get that quarterback sneak for the one yard rushing touchdown. 
that's even more tilting. Just a tough scene, literally. <laughs> Just an absolute <laughs> tough scene uh, with Jacoby Brissett and, and the Colts. It literally can go to anybody on the Colts offense at any given moment. Frank Reich is the definition of a galaxy brain. Yeah, I mean, that's the most galaxy brain thing of all time, you know, throwing Jacoby in there for the goal line scores. Just pure pain. Pure Pain. Gotta have a trio. Can't go in with a duo of running backs. Gotta have a trio at all times. Apparently. I mean, God, on that trajectory, he might be on the map, Patricia, uh, the schedule <laughs> soon. But So last week, we talked about Alvin Kamara, who was held without a catch for the first time in his career with Taysom Hill's first start. I think we both you know, pretty easily disregarded that as sort of a one-week anomaly, more so than something that we saw persisting. But today, Kamara had 11 attempts on the ground for 54 yards and only one reception, so at least he got the reception, managed to turn that into negative two receiving yards. I mean, man, how much slack are we prepared to cut Alvin Kamara here? Because this is starting to feel like a legitimate trend with Taysom Hill under center yeah i mean am i am i bugged for for like kind of just disregarding this game in general because they they were facing a practice squad wide receiver on the uh, on the other end or or no or do we really have to consider it i don't think you're bugged but i also am starting to wonder a little bit i don't know it feels like because it's one of those things that makes sense it's like Taysom hill Loves to just be a ball hog, so he's going <laughs> to rush it. And they're having success with it. He had two rushing touchdowns today. What did Latavius have two rushing touchdowns as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, those could have easily gone to Alvin Kamara and he would have salvaged. But the fact that he's not even getting targeted, I mean, I get it. Taysom Hill has the rushing ability and he's going to chuck the ball downfield a few times. But Alvin Kamara is still the best player on the Saints offense. And you're just not even going to give him a shot in the receiving game because Drew Brees is out. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, did. Do you think it was a factor of them being in the most positive game script that they'll probably be in all season facing a practice squad wide receiver and a team that was running Wildcat for most of the game? Like, I mean, it it was an easy win for the Saints. They were like... 15 or 20 point favorites the Broncos had a implied team total of 10 points probably one of the lowest of all time you know in in the new era of football do you do you think that's a factor are we considering that I mean I'm not disagreeing I just think that this game is kind of an outlier and I kind of don't want to consider it but we do have to consider it because Kamara didn't get any work at all (laughs) they were like hey you're having a rest day today. It's not your day. We're going to save you for the tougher games. Let's let Latavius and Taysom get the run. They'll score the touchdowns, boost their stats. You are you already have enough touchdowns. I mean, I'm I'm willing to to buy what you're selling right now. I think that that makes a lot of sense and we've seen enough from Kamara that I've got some faith in him. But let let let's see what we see in week 13. The Saints are going to be playing the Falcons who they played, you know, only 2 weeks ago. Um, you know, in Taysom Hill's first start, it was a more competitive game than this one, but the Saints still handled Atlanta pretty easily. They won 24 to 9 in that game. You know, if the Falcons can put up a fight or, you know, show the version of the Falcons that they showed today as they just demolished the, the Raiders, then maybe we'll be in a situation where... Kamara is utilized more in the passing game. I mean, if we have a third straight game and we're talking about this again next week, I won't be so forgiving of, of Kamara's outlook. All right. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. I just think that it's hard to really consider this game, but I think his upside is definitely capped with Taysom Hill at quarterback, especially since this dude is the biggest ball hog of all time. 
Yeah. No doubt about yeah. it. <laughs> no doubt. All right. We're going to close out the show with some NFL storylines that are more personal to the podcast, to Joey and myself. So if you're only here for the hard hitting information, you know, maybe it's time to tune out, but I, I would say stick around. So let's take a look at these three storylines that are very personal to the DFS dose and nothing is more personal to the DFS dose than Darius Slayton, aka Young Slay, aka Godius. It's time for a check-in. How worried are we? It's been easy to blame Daniel Jones this year for what has been a relatively disappointing season for Darius Slayton. I think we saw long stretches, especially at the beginning of the season, where Danny Dimes was playing at the level of a bottom five quarterback. But over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Evan Ingram produce, we've seen Sterling Shepard produce, and both of them produce at a pretty consistent basis. Today, we saw Darius Slayton put up zero points and drop what should have been an easy, easy 74-yard touchdown. I mean... You know, tell me where you are on the Darius Slayton spectrum right now. Are you concerned? Have we misjudged this man? Or is there still hope yet for Godius? No, I definitely think there is some hope for Godius. Um, he's still one of the more talented wide receivers from a raw talent perspective, in my opinion, in the NFL. And obviously, he's on a bad offense with a bad quarterback he did drop that pass like you said would have been an easy touchdown so that's on him but for the season it's largely been Danny Dimes missing touchdowns to him which we can't we can't blame him for I don't think any Giants wide receiver will be viable moving forward now that Daniel Jones is hurt severely according to multiple reports so that obviously limits Slayton's upside just on him as a wide receiver in general I'm not worried about him at all I think he just needs a real quarterback and he's shown that he can get open on a consistent basis every each and every single week and he's one of the best deep threats in the NFL so Slayton is still my boy when it's all said all right. and done yeah well I mean he's my boy but I, no I see shot. you kind of dodged it I was kind of setting you up there like it was kind of like a trap I was laying for you to abandon Darius Slayton once yeah, and for never. all and test your loyalty never but you saw you saw right through it. So, all right, good looks. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think Darius Slayton, it's hard to stomach it when it's his fault with the 74-yard touchdown drop. But, you know, I think that that would be easier to stomach if, you know, a good quarterback had delivered to him all season and he had, like, multiple better games, which is not on him. So, you know, everybody's going to make a mistake. It's just highlighted when it's been an overall disappointing season. A lot of wide receivers break out in their third year. Perhaps we're going to be looking at a quarterback upgrade for the Giants next year. So hopefully Darius Slayton gets some help uh, in terms of who is throwing him the ball. You're going to be giving any consideration to the ultimate sneaky stack next week in Colt McCoy to Darius Slayton. Both of them will probably be sub 5K going against Seattle in the nut matchup. Absolutely no shot. <laughs> I, I am not playing Colt McCoy in fantasy for hundreds of dollars. Absolutely no shot. I might. <laughs> but we'll talk about that on the week 13 preview podcast. Look out for that on Thursday. All right, Joey, the next story personal to the DFS Dose podcast, we are going to jump into your Patriots fandom. I noticed today that, you know, you weren't ecstatic when you saw the Patriots kick that last minute field goal to win the game. What's what's going on with that? I thought you'd be happy. <sighs> yeah, I mean, obviously when your team wins, it's supposed to be a good day. 
hypothetically, right? But it's not. It's not good when a lot of rebuilding needs to be done within the Patriots organization, within the Patriots roster. They need to find their quarterback of the future. They need talent on the offensive side of the ball. They need pass rushers, and they're not going to get the elite players that come out of college if they keep on winning games. Like, why are you winning games? You could have tanked this season, just threw away the whole season, got Trevor Lawrence, one of the better quarterback prospects to come out of college football in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years. He's being regarded as maybe the best prospect to to come out. And that's even comparing him to Andrew Luck. Just makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, I, I, obviously, I know why. Because Bill Belichick doesn't want to lose, and they're not playing to lose. They're playing to win, and they still have an outside chance at one of the three wild card spots, especially if they can win out and maybe go 10 and 6 if they win out, or go 9 and 7 and sneak in to the wild card. But then again, they won't do much in the playoffs if they get there. So it just makes no sense to me why they keep on winning. Like, it's just very, very negative EV to to win games at this point. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's just, it's an ego thing with these guys. You know, (laughs) they don't want to lose. And I understand that, you know, the players probably don't want to lose too. A lot of them are like, well, you know, I'm not going to be part of this rebuild. Let me at least win some games while I'm here. But from an organizational standpoint, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's just a simple fact um you know they've been a winning organization for the last 20 years they don't want to be losers they don't want to hurt their egos but i i feel like they should i think that would be the most optimal route to go but obviously that is why i am not in the patriots front office that's why i am talking about it so (laughs) all right and then our final story for today is one that came over the weekend following an embarrassing Thanksgiving Day performance by my own personal favorite team, the Detroit Lions. Matt Patricia has finally been fired, and this was the first time that like I felt like anything in my heart towards the Lions in, in a long time. I'm not going to lie. I mean, my, my heart has been dead for the Lions for years now, and it, it feels like it started when Matt Patricia was hired. I mean, I was I was high on Matt Patricia, you know, when when he came in and it, it didn't take long for that shine to wear off. Um I mean, from Matt Patricia's first press conference with the Lions and I know that Lions fans know exactly what I'm talking about if there are any of them out there. I mean, it was just a really dark, uncomfortable press conference where there were allegations of sexual assault from Patricia from day 1 as soon as he arrived in Detroit and it was just a dark cloud that kind of followed him and his performance throughout you know his time as the Lions head coach he's been fired and I just felt like that gif of you know the old Grinch movie the the cartoon where his heart is expanding three times the size or whatever and that's like how I felt when they fired him I finally have a little bit of hope now I mean would I be surprised to see the Lions completely fumble this and hire the wrong person absolutely not Um, I think that there is a strong chance. I would probably say like a 75% chance that Stafford will be gone after this year as you know, the fallout from this, I think it'll be new GM, new coach, new quarterback. And it's unfortunate that Patricia's kind of final view to the fans of Detroit was that, you know, he coached them up just enough to not have a top draft pick kind of like the Patriots. 
<laughs> so it's going to be tough for them to get one of those quarterbacks that could be, you know, the true face of the franchise going forward. I love Stafford. I don't blame him for the Lions, you know, issues over the past couple of years. But man, I, I think it's time for a reset and I'm hopeful for it as a Lions fan, hoping that the next 10 years are better than the last 20 for, for the fans of Detroit. Yeah, I think Lions fans just have to hope that they can hit on whoever they sign to be their next coach. I think that has been one of the line's biggest problems over the last 10 years or so has been their coaching staff. So they they just need to get the, the process right and find the head coach that can bring the Detroit Lions back to glory. Yeah, glory feels like a stretch for the Lions, but I, I feel the general, uh, the general meaning of, of what you're saying. <laughs> but that's going to be it for episode 111 of the DFS Dose podcast. What a week. Insanity from a DFS perspective. It just felt like the slate changed itself three different times throughout the week completely. And I'll be honest, Joey, I mean, I could see this trend sort of continuing. I mean, there was a solid stretch in the middle of the season where it felt like COVID was kind of on the back burner. You know, there was a player here or there that would miss the game. But, you know, now we've got the Ravens fully infected. We've got the Steelers catching it as well and i wouldn't be surprised to see a few more teams take a hit down the stretch as you know the rest of the country is kind of you know hitting peak numbers as well i think the nfl will feel that burn as well and we could be in for similar weeks over the next couple i mean i mean do you feel that as well yeah i definitely feel that and it's going to make for a very interesting fantasy playoffs in terms of redraft leagues because everybody's suffering at this point uh, whether that be injuries to key players, uh, you're missing players due to COVID. So it's just going to be a very, you know, surprising finish in terms of uh, fantasy for this year in, in redraft leagues. And it's just a tough scene. I mean, that's America in 2020. You just never know what's going to happen. We saw a practice squad wide receiver start at quarterback because the Broncos couldn't field any of their three quarterbacks on their roster. That is peak 2020. Yeah, they couldn't even field the, uh, you know, the 30 year old dude on their roster who was a red shirt quarterback as a uh, as a senior. <laughs> so I mean, they they that's what that's what they wanted to do in week 12 of the NFL in 2020. Just think about that. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of unknown in the NFL coming for the next couple of weeks. But one thing I do know is that the DFS dose will be here to help guide you through it, help you get on the winning plays in DraftKings specifically. And yeah, I mean, we will be back as we always are on Thursday for the week 13 preview podcast. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support the podcast in a variety of ways, including subscribing on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're trying to hit 130 subs. Help us get there. And you can join the DFS Dose Discord channel. Link to join that for free is in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover. B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right. Hope that you guys played Tyreek Hill this week. If not, enjoy a nice drink <laughs> for the evening. And uh, we will talk to you guys again on Thursday.